welcome everybody and welcome back to a special Halloween episode of Lost in Plots. We're your hosts, Corey and Jordan, and today we have a spooky treat for you as we curate a whole episode of spooky, haunting, chilling, and super cozy Halloween recommendations. That's right, Corey. In this episode, we're diving headfirst into the eerie. So grab your favorite hot drink, light a few candles, and get ready to get lost with us. That sounds very ominous. Yeah, let's not get too lost. <laughs> oh, I mean, we are lost in plots, though, right? So it's, it's more on brand. More on brand. <laughs> Before we dive into our bookish recommendations, let's share some memories about one of our favorite holidays, Halloween. Diving into that, what is your very first Halloween memory? I remember being little, little. And mm -hmm. I my very first memory is one of those traditional orange Halloween jack-o'-lantern buckets. Okay. Like, if, if I think about it hard enough, I can feel the texture of it in my <laughs> hands. And that is my very first memory of, like, one of those buckets. And there's some sort of treats on the inside, but my memory does not see that far inside. It just sees the bucket. And it's much larger in my mind yeah. than it would ever be in real life. Because yeah. I was probably, like, three years old. I think, I don't know in what order my childhood memories come from in Halloween. They all kind of blend together. But one that I always think of, and it needs context or else it sounds creepy. <laughs> I lived in like a really, really small town, like literally a village growing up about less than 500 people or so. But I lived outside of town. So trick-or-treaters couldn't come to our house because there was, well, it didn't make any sense. So my mom would take us to town and we'd go trick-or-treating and she would dress up as like a cat or something and hand out candy on the street to kids. <laughs> So that she can hand out kids, like, which sounds creepy to, like, go up to a child on the street and be like, here's some candy. But I feel like on Halloween, it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, so that was my mom's tradition would be to hand out candy on the streets to the kids so that uh, she felt like she was contributing to the party. <laughs> I feel like that would be totally okay in 1992 and not at all okay in 2023. Well, and I think it also, like, depends on, like, literally we knew everybody in this town. Like, exactly. it's not like we were strangers, yeah. you know? So like, it was, there's very, very, uh, it's very, very, like, there's not even a stoplight to this day. There's no stoplight in that town. So it's very small. <laughs> that must've been really fun though. Knowing it was everyone so much fun. and was getting to trick or treat with like probably large groups of kids. Not my very first Halloween memory, but I do remember that in my small town, Picton, Ontario, where I grew up, a couple thousand people so slightly larger than your hometown yeah. but the funeral homes used to go all out for halloween and that's not something that they do anymore but they yeah. would you'd actually be able to trick-or-treat out of caskets that's oh my god that's hilarious that in my childhood <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> love it and one of them would have like uh stuff that you could stick your hands in so you'd have to go oh, yeah. into this actual funeral home and like feel all the gooey gooey like I think it was like cold spaghetti and bowls. Oh, yeah. We used to do that at our school. So gross. <laughs> and in very 90s tradition, you wouldn't actually get the candy until you did the horrific stuff that they were asking you to <laughs> yeah. do. 100%. Yeah. There was no free prizes back then. Yeah, we definitely had a few few houses that went all out every year that were everybody always looked forward to. Uh, what was your favorite childhood Halloween costume? As, as much as I have a deep love for Halloween and always have, I've never really gone hard with the costume situation. And I don't know if you relate to this, but as a kid, we, it's, Halloween is the end of October and there was sometimes snow. And if there wasn't snow, 
it was very, very cold. So you couldn't just like have a costume. I had to wear snowsuits under my costume. Uh, <laughs> so probably a favorite is just like, I just, I don't remember it very well, but I, a picture of me, I have a picture of me and my childhood best friend dressed up as fairy princesses, but we just look ridiculous because the dresses are over our snowsuits. So like, <laughs> we just look so silly. And like, I don't know how I felt about it at the time. I was probably like, I wish I could freeze. But in retrospect, probably the right choice was to put on a snowsuit and not freeze to death as an eight-year-old child. But I just have that picture and like, we just look so stinking cute. <laughs> that is a thing here in Canada, isn't it? Because we, we've had the same thing in Ontario for many years. Not typically snow, but it rains and it's freezing cold. So most kids are in, in jackets. My most memorable Halloween costume, though, is when I was 12 years old, I really wanted to be Zorro. And I think it's because <laughs> the movie with Antonio Banderas had just come out. And of course, he rode this like gorgeous Frisian horse. And I, I rode horses and have forever. So I was like, I'm going to go as Zorro. <laughs> <laughs> and my grandfather, uh, bless this man, has always been very accommodating for any silly requests that I've had and actually crafted me a wooden sword. Amazing. For my costume. Super illegal these days. <laughs> Back in the 90s. <laughs> I was whipping around the sword and I thought that I was the coolest person and it rained. Ah. But I was 12 and I was not going to wear that jacket. <laughs> of course not. You're too and too. The next you're week too I was cool possibly sicker than I've ever been in my life. But oh, I will no. forever remember being the coolest Zorro anybody has ever cosplayed as. I refuse to believe anybody else was cooler. 12 year old no. Mia Zorro. Peak cool. Since it's where you peaked. <laughs> yeah, actually, probably. <laughs> what was trick-or-treating like for you as a child? Nobody took me anywhere. I, re I remember being very young and basically told to just be free in my town yeah. and go to strangers' homes and ask for candy. So, yeah, I remember being out from like five o'clock until like ten o'clock. And then slowly Ten, and that's my way home with like a pillowcase. Yes. With 20 pounds of candy hefted over my shoulder, feeling like a king. Uh, we had supervision for the most part, I think. Oh, actually, fun fact. I trick-or-treated until grade 12 with my friends. Um, no shame. I was proud of it. <laughs> um, like we all yeah, got, like dressed up and yeah. like dressed up and like we were not too cool to go trick-or-treating, let me tell you. But as a kid in the, again, in the village I lived in, it was a tourist town, so there was like, the whole joke about the town is there's mo more hotel rooms than houses. So we got to go trick or treating at all the hotels, and all the hotels gave out full size candy bars. So I don't know why I said candy bars, chocolate bars. That's an American thing. And it was like again, we we didn't we had none of those little fancy buckets. No, no, we had pillowcases because we we had to lug around like a pillowcase full of full size candy bars. Chocolate bars. Why do I keep saying candy bars? <laughs> That's not how I speak. Um, but yeah, so that was... And we used to get home and sort them in roasting pans. Like the good candy in one roasting pan and the not-so-good candy in the other roasting pan. <laughs> I uh, Mine was a little bit more diabolical. I came home and scattered it all over my living room carpet. It was just piles of candy. It was not, like, <laughs> as restrained as parents are these days. Oh, yeah. Like, no, I have, have a any and there's no way that I would let her like ham fast the candy the way that I was doing in the 90s oh yeah some of my times time. my candy would be gone in like a week but also do you do you remember that it was a little bit different we didn't have we had small size chocolate bars but we mm -hmm. had very few chips 
little bit. The so occasional we, raisin, ew. Yeah, when we say that we were, it was pounds of candy, it was a pounds of chocolate and, like, candy candy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The trading at school was mayhem afterwards. My favorite thing is when you would get, like, a full-size pop from, like, folks that forgot to go get Halloween yeah. candy. It's, like, <laughs> 9 p.m., you're rocking up to a house that has one light on, and they're like, hold on, I have something for you. And it's, like, a ginger ale, and you're like, this is the best night ever. Yeah, this is the best thing I've ever had in my life. Yeah, 100%. Or there was that one house that, again, this probably wouldn't happen anymore, but in the 90s, like, they made, like, homemade popcorn balls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, probably not as much as a thing anymore, and depending on where you live. Everything is contextual. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Halloween movie? I know you're not a a movie person, but I'm assuming there's some nostalgia there. I had a hard time with this. So, like, I've seen The Nightmare Before Christmas, and you know how, like, it was, like, really cool to love The Nightmare Before Christmas, you know, when yeah, we were growing up? Yeah, you were trendy to, to enjoy it, yeah. So, like, I think I pretended to like The Nightmare Before Christmas a lot. But I've recently come to the realization that I don't really care about The Nightmare Before Christmas. Like, it's fine. But I don't have any intention of watching it ever again. But a few years ago, several years ago now, pre-pandemic, Karina of Owl Creek, uh, her, like, favorite movie ever is Hocus Pocus. And I had never seen it. And so a few years ago, I sat down with Karina and we watched Hocus Pocus. And it was very fun. And I did enjoy myself. That was, like, I think that's the last Halloween movie I watched. And it was... 2018 maybe (laughs) um but i had a good time and i get it i get why it's she thinks it's such a great movie because it is it's very great i understand why it's a cult classic it's a fantastic movie um but i didn't realize how dark it was until i got older it's pretty dark yeah (laughs) like all 90s movies there's so much darker than anything disney comes out with these days and there's like a child death like immediately immediately in the beginning of that film and so I, I showed it to my four-year-old. Um, <laughs> lessons were learned. Mistakes were had. <laughs> Plus, I, she loves Halloween movies now. <laughs> I get Yeah, for sure. Uh, my favorite, I'm actually watching this weekend with Tara. It's Twilight. I like, I'm not a spooky, spooky person. It's the, ah, ha, ha. Yeah. That, that's my vibe. <laughs> that's my vibe for fall. I'm, I'm there vampires yes beautiful nothing else okay i can accept i'll accept that as a halloween movie i feel like it it could be a halloween movie it's vampires it counts right close enough (laughs) okay so last of this general section of the pod and it kind of is a segue into some spooky book recommendations we're going to have for you but what was the very first spooky book that you remember reading i wrote this down You would think that I would be prepared, but I'll be honest with you. I cannot think of anything except choose your own adventure Goosebumps books. And I couldn't tell you which one specifically, but those, those are as about as spooky as I ever got when I was a kid. And then when I discovered fantasy, I was gone from there. One that comes to mind and to this day terrifies me is scary stories to tell in the dark. The illustrations in those books are horrendous. (laughs) They are so scary. Like the st- the stories are scary too, but the illustrations that go along with the stories terrifying. But you, we used to read those in, as kids in like in in classes, like during like reading time, and it was like Woo, they're so spooky. I would love to get my hands on a copy again now and see if I'm still as spooked out. But even seeing the cover of those books, they're terrifying. I think that I've seen them, but yeah, that's not something I would naturally gravitate towards. 
there's like really scary like almost like campfire ghost stories like short scary stories they're fabulous meant to scare your pants off and they did all right so on that note should we get into some of our book recommendations yes i can't promise very scary ones from me okay so the first ones we're going to talk about are some ya fantasy horror fantasy horror is my jam I've read a lot of it. I, I'm sticking down to two. Um, one which I read really recently and one which I read several years ago and has stuck with me as being very scary. The first one is The Weight of Blood by Tiffany D. Jackson, which if you haven't heard of this book, it is a retelling of Carrie by Stephen King, which oddly enough, I haven't read or seen the movie Carrie. So I actually had no idea what was that coming in this book. Surprising. <laughs> I know, it is surprising. At least that I haven't read it. So I actually had no idea that the story of Carrie was in any way supernatural. Had no idea. So reading this was like a real surprise. <laughs> um, and it was it was spooky, but like not over the top spooky. And just like a really great wild ride. So I can faithfully say that as someone who wasn't familiar with Carrie, still an excellent story. And I know others who have read it, specifically Shanley on Team Alcrate who was familiar with Carrie, also loved this book. So, A+. Plus. I'm, I'll do a couple of my recommendations. First, I'm just going to give props to Kendara because we spoke with her on the last pod- podcast. And I know that Anna Dressed in Blood is like the only YA horror that specifically like has freaked you out before. Um, yes. And that one's about a haunting. If you want to know more about it, you have to listen to our previous podcast. The Girls Are Never Gone by Sarah G. Marsh, though. Uh, the, the cover is so cool. You should definitely check it out. There's like a skeletal hand coming up through a lake. But it is about a a person who goes ghost hunting in an old mansion. And uh, it's set and surrounded by a podcast that these uh, teens are producing. I love that. And the coolest thing about this book, I managed to talk to Sarah about it, is that it's based on her family's history of owning oh. this mansion in the United States. And I'm not one for really spooky ghost stories. So this one isn't. It's just a lot of fun. A couple of really, you know, a couple of moments where you're like, ooh, a little spooky, but generally pretty chill. But I liked its history more than anything else. And like, even when you think of the Amityville horror Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, I have this obsession, I think, with like sentient things. Yeah. I have no interest in reading very spooky stuff about it, but I really enjoy like family <laughs> histories involving spooky mansions and things like that. And then the next one would be Small Favors by Aaron A. Craig. And I expected that one to be more fantasy leaning, but it was actually scary. Like three quarters okay. to the end of the book. I was like, no, no. And it was a plot twist that I didn't see coming. Tons of unreliable narration in that one. And uh, you don't quite figure out what it is, but you're, fully spooked by the end see i that's one i've been meaning to read for a long time because i love the cover of that book <laughs> it's beautiful <laughs> but I, I am excited i love Aaron A. craig's writing and i think my my other one that i wanted to mention is and the trees crept in by don kurtigick this is actually a book i got it was one of the first arcs i ever got at the first uh, ba ba that i went to many years ago and i'd never heard of it and i read it and it is super creepy it is about Two kids who move, well, two kids, two teenagers, two siblings who move in to their, I believe it was their aunt's old house in the forest. And there's some very creepy things happening in the house. And 
I don't know if you like are familiar. Have you seen like Doctor Who? You know, like the the oh, yes. weeping the weeping angels when they're like don't blink. So the trees kind of do the same thing to them. Like when they look out when they're not looking at the trees outside, and when they look over back out the window, the trees get closer to the house. So very spooky. Really good though. Um, I, and I read that several. I think probably twenty sixteen. I read that, and I still think about how spooky it was. So highly recommend. These are good recommendations. Let's move on to adult fantasy horror. And I think okay. that, that our tone is going to shift a little. Absolutely it is, yes. <laughs> um, if you want, I can go. I have, I have a few here that I think are all great. And they're all, mine are all easy reads. Two of them are novellas. I love a horror novella. It's my favorite way to digest horror. And one of them is a short story collection that Jordan also recently read. But the first one is, and I'm not, I'm going to say it's not going to be for everyone, but it's going to, if it is for you, it's for you. And it's called The Night of the Mannequins by Stephen Graham Jones. <laughs> the Night of the Mannequins is a little novella, around 100 pages, and it is about a group of friends who pull a prank on a local movie theater where they put a mannequin in one of the seats and like prank, there's a person in your theater. But then something happens to this mannequin. Does it come alive? Does it haunt them? Is it true? Is it a human doing the haunting? Mm. It's very wild and very strange and very spooky. And I loved it. <laughs> so speaking of Stephen Graham Jones, um, Jordan and I both read a dark fiction anthology by all indigenous writers called Never Whistle at Night. And Stephen Graham Jones did the introduction to it. Um, so there's a segue for you. <laughs> um, but we both read this and I can say all of the stories, there are many of them. I would say a couple dozen about. They're all short and they all pack a punch and they're all super different. How did you feel about the anthology? I really enjoyed it. There were a lot of like myths and inclusions that I wasn't aware of before. So I learned some things. Some of them were really spooky. Mm -hmm. Some of them were borderline too much. No, some <laughs> yes. of them were too much in the most like beautiful sort of way. I know that like my favorite was Rebecca Rowan Horses because it was very messed up. Yeah. set in suburbia and it was a setting that you wouldn't assume a horror story could be set in yeah. and it's sad at the end and i don't even normally it's... like sad at the end but i was like this is very fitting yeah it was like impactful and like messed up it was messed messed up is the way i would describe that story um but that story is called white hills by rebecca ronars it's the second story in the collection so you really get off with a bang <laughs> really start off with a bit of bang. Um, I had two favorites. I liked all of the stories, but two that stuck out to me were Navajos Don't Wear Elk Teeth by Conley Lyons. And this is a short story about a man who kind of enters a casual relationship with another man who um, has a collection of teeth. And we will leave it there. What kind of teeth? Good question. Uh, <laughs> and actually my other one is Oddly, based on the same kind of um, premise, I guess, but it's called Collections by Amber Blazer Wardzala. Pardon me, my pronunciation there. Um, and it's another one of just the white person taking advantage of the humanity of the indigenous person. And again, messed up comes to mind entirely, but they're fantastic, spooky stories. Again, the anthology is called Never Whistle at Night. It just recently came out. It's easy to get your hands on it, and it's fantastic highly recommend i love a spooky short story i really enjoyed i went and grabbed that in at indigo as soon as i saw it on your instagram 
And I was like, I need to have this just because I'm I'm a cover whore. And <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful cover. It's and beautiful, I, yeah. The, the premise was just like, it drew me in. And then I went to Indigo and they had it front facing. It was the nice. biggest display in the whole store, which I really appreciated. Um, speaking of inappropriate and weird horror, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, one of my moderators for the book club was like, I dare you to read this book. And I was like, I know what you read. No. <laughs> and, yeah. they, and then they were they were like, uh, well, I'll read something you enjoy if you read this, specifically this book, which is called Tender is the Flesh by uh, Agustina Baz-Tariga. And okay, this was, I believe, originally written in its own language. I think it's Argentinian. And it was translated to English. I dove in without reading anything about this book. And it's been popular <laughs> on Book Talk this year. It's been popular and for a while, yeah. It, it is about the consumption of human flesh. But yep. there's so much more to the novel than that. And it really is about politics and humanity. And even um, the impact of fake news mm-hmm. on a population. And what that can do to kind of make something horrific look totally okay right which is always relevant but very relevant this week as we sit here on the 11th of october and i'm not going to say anything about that but it is entirely true it's a fantastic novel i didn't think that i'd enjoy it as much as i did because there's nothing easy about it there's nothing comfortable Mm -hmm. about it but it it makes you think that's when i need to get my hands on i'm scared of it but also excited about it (laughs) and i think my final the recommendation I have in this category is another novella called The Monster of Ellenhaven by Jennifer Giesbrecht. I read this again a few years ago now, and it is set in this horrible city of Ellenhaven that has kind of been forgotten by the rest of the world. It's covered in like plague and it's dirty and it's it's just this dark place and this monster appears from the harbor. Is the monster a man? We don't know. But this monster and a human team up together to try to get revenge on those that have forgotten them. And none of these characters are good people. <laughs> like I want to stress, like nobody in this book is a good person. But it's just, at the same time, you root for them so hard. And it is so endearing. And there's almost, there's like this sexual tension between these two. That's just like in this short little novella, it's just so built up and complex and it's scary, but it has because of that tension, there's some kind of a wholesomeness to it. I loved it. Highly recommend. I think you would really like it, Jordan. I will put it on my TBR. You've not led me astray so far, Corey. <laughs> I'll trade you Tenders the Flesh for the Monster of Ellen Davin. And the good thing about all my recs so far is they've been like really short, <laughs> like literal novellas. So um, they won't take up too much of your time. My very last recommendation for adult is not a novella, but it's very accessible. And I think that that's really like really something that I like about Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Mm -hmm. And I know that everybody knows her for writing Mexican Gothic, which Mm -hmm. apparently is great. I've not actually read it. I've read every single one of her other novels except for Mexican Gothic because I have something against the very, very popular stuff where I'm like, I'm not going to like it. So I'm not going to read it. (laughs) I will eventually and I'll love it. But I'm actually going to recommend Certain Dark Things by Silvia Moreno Garcia. And it is a book that is an urban fantasy, but with vampires. 
and uh, there's there's not really much of a romance, but there is a little bit of a romance in the book as well. Set in Mexico City, and there are paranormal creatures and there's humans. Never the two shall meet. And it is all about having to navigate the politics around kind of existing as somebody who's different in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really liked it. There's a couple of horrific, gory moments, uh, but there's also some just fun chases and things like that in that book. I like horror the most when there's like an action angle to it. And this book is very like 30 days of night. Gotcha. (laughs) Now we're dilate way down and we have different recommendations. Yes, I'm excited about both of mine. These are middle grade or like younger YA maybe um, horror or Halloween recommendations. I have a couple. My first one is The Forgotten Girl by India Hill Brown. Now this one is quite spooky, but it's also like just such a fabulously put together book. And it's about a ghost who of a black girl who is from a segregated cemetery. And it is about a living girl trying to get this segregated cemetery recognized. And it's very good. Spooky, but not too spooky, and just like a fantastic story that maybe not everybody knows something about. And I very much enjoyed it. And Indy Hill Brown actually used to be a booktuber, or actually might still be, I'm not too sure, but definitely one of our community. So pretty cool. My recommendation, and I was thinking about it, although this book came out in July... And we recommend, we didn't recommend it. We had it in the box for Owlcrate Jr. It's The Bellwoods Game by Celia Crampine. Mm-hmm. It is the perfect book for middle grade October. Mm-hmm. It's literally set in the fall. It's set during Halloween. And it's about a group of kids who who feel like they need to go into the woods to ring a bell and save their town. And what what happens in and around that plot as far as there being a ghost and the town being haunted and cursed. But it's a lot of fun. And the reason I really liked it, it held my attention because it had pictures. So if it can <laughs> hold my attention, it can hold your eight-year-old's attention too. I read that recently as well. And it was, yeah, I loved it. it really, It's a really it's fun adorable. book. It's very fun. And my final middle grade one is this one that everybody knows. It's Coraline by Neil Gaiman. Something I love about this book is, yes, it's spooky. I have never seen the movie, I know. But I've read a lot of Neil Gaiman's like nonfiction and there's a point in one of his nonfiction stories or essays maybe where he's talking about the process of Coraline and how when they were trying to publish it, they didn't know what age to publish it for. So what Neil did was got one of his friend's middle-aged grade kids to read the book and tell him if it was too scary. And this kid then told him, no, no, it wasn't too scary. And then years later... This person is now an adult and comes up to Neil and she's like, no, that book was too scary. I just didn't want to admit it. <laughs> so like, is uh, the readers to try to determine the age range of the book was just like, no, I was terrified, but I didn't want to tell you that I was scared, but that was too scary for me. Um, so that's why it's published as a middle grade because this one kid said, no, it's fine. So that's, it's a bit on the scarier side, I would say for a middle grade. My, once again, my six-year-old loves that book and the movie. <laughs> it's spooky, man. It is pretty spooky. Uh, next, we have cozy versus spooky recommendations. Yeah, see, this is where I struggled and you did well. I, like, googled cozy horror before this. And you know what was, like, the third thing on the list? The Shining. How is that cozy? <laughs> I'm Very sorry, relaxing. what? 
<laughs> so I was like, I'm confused because I've read The Shining, but never in my wildest dreams I would have referred to that as a cozy book. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to hear from you, though, what your main recommendation is here. I'm going to go with a recent, recently published book uh, that I just read with Syl called Spellbound by F.T. Lukens. And I mean, I, I like Lukens anyway, so I knew I was going to like this novel. But I didn't expect it to be as cozy as it was. There's not really very many high stakes. There's a lot of magic. It's a lot of exploring grief and the newness and scariness of relationships and relying mm-hmm. on your friends. It's a, it's a lot less about, um, you know, high stakes and a lot more about cozy friends and maybe <laughs> uh, malicious, malevolent, malevolent. Oh. How do I say that word? Now you've got my brain confused. <laughs> Ma- nope, my brain can't do it either. We're just going to stick with the word mean. <laughs> welcome mats. Mean, sentient, welcome mats. Uh, very cute. What's yours? I struggled for a while to f- think of something, but I went with another Neil Gaiman, and I went with The Ocean at the End of the Lane. I feel like a lot of people know this book, like Coraline. Neil Gaiman is fairly popular. <laughs> um, but it's just this kind of quiet story about a man returning to a town where he grew up in some spooky and strange slightly paranormal don't know what's happening events that follow him there and it's fantastic it definitely still has the spook but it is like less like i'm not never was i scared reading this book like never was i fearful it's just like gives it has the vibes But I think that would be, I would love to read more like cozy Halloween-y books. Like I know there's like a lot coming out. Like I saw like there's like the X-Hex and things like that. Or like the Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches. Is that what that's called? Um, that one is but very I've, cute. It's good. I haven't really dove in to those yet, but I, I, I'm enjoying those becoming more of a thing. I'm enjoying the cozy fantasy too. I'm really looking forward to Bookshops and Bone Dust, which is out next month. Yes, of course. Uh, lastly, what makes or breaks a spooky book for you? I'm just going to go first and say when it's too scary. And I've read some of the too scary stuff and it's been okay, but still there's a line and apparently it's teeth. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. I don't remember what the genre is called, but it's like dark horror where it's like things that are like, like grim dark, like things that are like actually not okay. Like not that murder and stuff is okay, but like things that feature like pedophilia or like you know things that are like just too far for me like I can't deal with that kind of story I can't deal with it when characters are bad people no sorry <laughs> I can deal with it when characters are bad people but I can't deal with it when an author gratuitously uses like slurs and things all the time just to prove that somebody's a bad person I feel like you can prove somebody's a bad person without having to go down that path so yeah, like that kind of, like some some Stephen King, I just cannot because of all the slurs and stuff that happen that he uses in some of his work, especially his earlier stuff. So that like really pulls me out of a story. That kind of thing is not for me. Fair enough. Doesn't sound like it'd be for me either. No, I just, it just, it, especially when it's done like gratuitously, like there's definitely, you know, horrors and mysteries and story stuff from BIPOC authors that use it in a way that's impactful and makes sense. But when you're just doing it to prove that somebody's a bad person, no, doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> I feel like that and teeth are both not vibes. Not vibes, both exactly. Yeah. 
We have some pre-asked questions. Cool. I haven't heard these ones. Uh, what is the scariest book you've ever read? Speaking of Stephen King, <laughs> it is Salem's Lot by Stephen King, I think, is the book that scared me the most. It's a vampire book, which I didn't know reading it when I started it. Um, but that one was quite freaky. And then the one that you mentioned earlier that I was scared, really scared me was Anna Dressed in Blood by Kendara Blake. I'm going to say Tenders the Flesh because I've already mentioned it, but that is literally like the worst, most spookiest thing I've ever read. Yep. And I know everybody listening to this is probably going to now provide me even worse novels yeah. as a recommendation. I'm good, by the way. Uh, what is a must-have spooky book snack? Now, you're spooky. actually like the queen of snacks. Am I? You are. How? Because you don't eat full meals. Oh, I, oh, I mean, okay, I guess. <laughs> I was like, how so? It's because I don't, I, yeah, I, I'm very bad at finishing my food. Um, <laughs> um, okay, best books. Fun fact, I actually don't eat while I'm reading pretty much ever. Except <laughs> my tradition is, if uh, you follow me on social media, uh, every weekend I go to town and I will go sit at a coffee shop or a pub or whatever on a patio somewhere and I will order a drink, like a beer or a coffee or whatever, and a snack, and then I'll sit there and read my book for a little while. But that's really the only time I eat well reading, so. Popcorn? <laughs> Popcorn seems like a spooky snack. I don't know why. <laughs> I didn't consider that my answer would be really weird, and I'm not the person to, like, make things up, so I do have an answer for you. Not that I'm proud of my answer. Okay. I like to eat deli meat, specifically mortadella so hot okay. mortadella from italy with pistachios rolled up like it's bologna all right okay, and i will eat like 400 grams of this <laughs> stuff while i'm eating a book okay it's not a proud moment for me but specifically pistachios because i'm not allergic to them but you're allergic to other nuts yes they're trying uh, to kill me that's, that's the true uh, horror inclusion in this podcast is the nuts <laughs> that are trying to kill yeah. me I mean, I do like a deli meat, so I can get behind that. <laughs> Thank you. Just that, too. Nothing else. Just mortadella rolled up on there. Yeah, on no, the I've been there. <laughs> it's a vibe, especially for seasonal depression season. What horror book would you want to be in, if at all? Oh, God, none. Why would I want to be in a horror book? <laughs> Let's rephrase this question. If you had to be in a horror book, if I had to be in a horror which book. one would you rather be in? Oh, gosh. I think something contemporary so I could just walk away. <laughs> you know, I don't know how that would work. Um, I'm trying to think and I don't have a good answer for you. Do you have one that you could think of? I, I can't think of any book, but I could think like movies. Okay. And in, in that case, if this was a scenario where I couldn't get out of it, I believe that I might just lay down and die. Second option. <laughs> if it was hey, we're all going to go into the super spooky woods, house, basement, abandoned asylum, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. I am not that level <laughs> of spontaneous or adventurous whatsoever. I would be the person who would just walk away in the beginning of the novel. See ya. I feel I'll, like I'll check I think in with the final girl at the end. I do have one just because I think it wouldn't, I mean, it would be horrible, but I don't think it would affect me is death note oh 
because I just feel like I haven't really done anything of note for them to have their attention on me. So I don't think they would write my name in that notebook because <laughs> they haven't really done anything prominent <laughs> that would make them think of me. So <laughs> that is a really good call. I mean, I mean, still horrible that many people are dying, but um, I'd be okay probably. <laughs> yeah, you could just just fly right under the radar. Fly under the radar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is your favorite horror trope? It's a great question. I don't know if I've ever really thought about horror tropes before. Oh, okay. I have one horror trope that I do know that I like. And it's getting lost in the woods. There's a stranger following you kind of vibe. Where, like, you don't know if there's something actually watching. You know? Like that eerie... That's Is a that trope, like right? your favorite trope to read? I feel like it wouldn't be your favorite trope to experience. Oh, not to experience. No, no. <laughs> but to, but to, I love reading about this, like, the, you don't know if something is off or not. Like, just like you feel like something is wrong, but you can't prove it. I like that as a trope. Mine um, is the weather is weird. Okay. Like the weather is almost sentient mm-hmm. because you don't get it in any other novel, but a horror novel in that sort of way where the weather seems to be an actual living breathing creature yeah that's cool favorite spooky setting spooky well i kind of mentioned this before but i do like a like a lost in the woods situation but i also do love a haunted house i do love a house that's more than meets the eye you're thinking like house of leaves um the haunting a hill house like i love all these like gothic gothic horror essentially Mine is the castle set on the sea. Okay. Specifically on a cliff overlooking the sea. Nice. Because I always feel like, what would it be like to like toss somebody out the top? <laughs> of course. <laughs> what would it be like? Not good. I don't mean that in a, I would like to do that sort of way. Just to our <laughs> podcast listeners. I don't really want to toss anybody out of a castle. But no. I'm just thinking visually, what would that look like? I'm sure it's happened in some Monty Python movie. Very likely. <laughs> okay, everybody, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Spine Tingling Recommendations. We promise that we will be back with more Lost in Plots in just two weeks' time, and you won't want to miss it. That's right. Our next episode of Lost in Plots will take you behind the scenes of National Novel Writing Month with NaNoWriMo winner and New York Times bestselling author Marissa Meyer. So if you want writing hints, tips, and tricks, you won't want to miss out on our next episode. Until next time, stay spooky, friends. Goodbye.